Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy. It's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. John Sinden. Dr. Sinden is scientific co-founder of Renuron, which is a company involved in stem cell therapies. Dr. Sinden, welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. Well, thank you, John. So, I know you have a number of studies that are underway. Perhaps you can give us an introductory overview of your interests and your activities. Sure. Well, let me just give you a little bit of an introduction to Renuron because some of the listeners won't have heard of this. We're a stem cell therapy company. We were founded a long time ago, back in 1998. I was, as you mentioned, one of the co-founders. Came out of King's College in London, where I was an academic. And along with two colleagues, we had put together some IP and we were looking to get that funded and we had some venture capital supporters at that time. So the company was founded. We sort of grew up and we did a number of things. And we've been in existence since then in different forms. We're now a large company in, in sort of biotech terms. We're, we're listed on the London Stock Exchange, so we're a public company. We have about 40 employees. And we have two products in clinical trials at the moment, and we have a third product which we're hoping to take into clinical trials later this year. So that's the company side, and that's, of course, being in that position, we've moved away from, if you like, my original sort of research origins into much more into development and manufacturing and a number of other aspects of therapeutic development, that, as you can imagine, which is quite exciting. My background really was in cell therapy, and that's really where I started when I was at the Institute of Psychiatry, part of King's College in London, where the company was founded from. And on the basis of work that we were doing involving developing cell lines using different stem cell types, we came across a technology that would enable us to generate genetically modified stem cells that we could select, and we did a kind of therapy-based selection. In other words, we looked at those cells, we looked at their characteristics, we ensured that they were indeed neural stem cells, that those neural stem cells would survive well if you froze them down and thawed them and they wouldn't change in any way, that they had a very normal genotype and karyotype, that their phenotype was very stable, and individually they were interesting because they were all different. And we selected one of those on the basis of its ability to reverse deficits in animal models of ischemia in the brain. So that's really where we got our particular focus, which is in stroke medicine. And so currently our main clinical development is in stroke disability. So we completed this year a phase one trial in the UK for patients who were chronically disabled by stroke. And that data is now being written up, and we're hoping to submit a manuscript very shortly because the database has now just been closed, so we can do that. And it's given, I think, pretty exciting results, although it's not been a control study. It has shown some improvements in a number of the patients. That appears to be related in some way to the dose level of the treatment. It was a dose escalation trial. And we've now started a Phase two trial, And that's a trial looking at a particular disability in stroke patients, which is basically upper limb paresis, so the inability to make any movement at all, any useful movement with the arm or the hands or the fingers. 
And that's a particularly difficult problem for stroke survivors if they have that particular disability because it's not something you can easily compensate for. You can't find particular techniques. Physiotherapy doesn't particularly work well with it. And if a patient has an upper limb paresis and it's stable over a period of time, and we're talking about maybe a small percentage now of stroke survivors. We're not talking about a huge number of patients. But if we can select those patients and we can give them a stem cell therapy, this involves a direct targeting of stem cells into the brain using stereotaxic techniques, then we are looking to get a degree of improvement in those patients that you would not otherwise see. So if a patient has a complete inability to have arm function, If you then take those patients out in the longer term, then they do not spontaneously recover that arm function, or at least only a very, very small proportion, less than 5% of those patients will show spontaneous recovery. So if you give them a stem cell treatment and you change that to over 20% of the patients recovering, that's a major advantage to patients, which we'll see not only in that upper limb function, but we'll also see that in other functions. That could be things like speech or walking or so on. So all those things will improve as well along with that upper limb recovery. But the primary endpoint we're looking for is the ability to do something useful. For example, being able to pick up a cup and drink from it. You can measure that very easily. There are tests available, and the main one we're using is the Action Research Arm Test, which is a well-validated test of arm function in patients with disability. So we're using that particular test as our primary endpoint. So we're in a phase two trial. We're hoping to complete the main body of that trial during the course of this year and be able to get some data out before the end of this year for the first cohort of patients, which is a very exciting thing to be able to show that stem cells can actually improve specific functional deficits in stroke survivors. Beyond that, we've also got a phase one trial in a very related indication, but very different indication. This is critical limb ischemia. It's a peripheral arterial disease. So patients who have a atherosclerosis of the leg or a major blockage causing a loss of blood flow to the lower limb. Very common condition now, particularly with growth in obesity and diabetes. So a lot of patients being affected by this. A lot of those patients could be treated, for example, by by surgical means, but a lot of those patients will have had that surgery, and also they may have wound healing difficulties, which makes surgery impossible or very difficult. So by giving multiple injections in the muscle, we're hoping to create new blood vessel formation in the limb. At the moment, we're just doing a safety trial to show that it's quite safe to inject large doses of our cells into the muscle in patients with uh, lower limb ischemia. We're looking at that at the moment, and we hope to complete that trial fairly soon. It's only about nine patients altogether we're treating in a dose escalation study. To move on sometime early next year to a much larger phase two trial, be a randomized control trial. What's the source of the stem cells? Are these autologous cells? or No, this is a permanent cell line, so it originally derived from neural stem cells. We isolated a single cell, so it's a clonal cell line. The advantage of the technology we use, which is a conditional immortalization technology, is that we can allow these cells to be expanded 
in very large numbers, exceeding the normal senescence limits for these cells, so going well beyond the normal 8 or 10 passages that you can grow these cells out to without the additional gene, to beyond 40-odd passages or over 100 population doublings. So that enables the substantial expansion of this cell line at reasonable, we think, reasonable cost of goods. So we think it is a product that isn't massively expensive and one that can be developed as a commercial product. So using the same cell line for both of these therapies? Yeah, we are. And the reason being one of the main modes of action of the cells is in actually that ability to form new blood vessels, both in the brain, in the case of stroke, and also in the, in the case of lower limb ischemia, in the lower limb, in the leg. So it's quite important from the point of view of mode of action that we can show the cells can produce some new blood vessels, and those blood vessels are patent. You can show that blood flows through them, etc. So one of the questions that comes to mind is, I've had the pleasure of talking to other scientists with other types of therapies, in particular with tissue engineering and cell-based therapies, there seems to be a, a requirement that you need to coax the tissue to be what you want it to be. In other words, for example, with muscle regeneration, there needs to be a, a rigorous therapeutic physical therapy program that's part of the overall therapy. So in your case, for example, with stroke, is it simply an injection of the cell line or is there more to the overall strategy? One of the things that we are doing, we're mandating a degree of physical therapy in our patients in the phase two, such that they get a standard amount of physical therapy that's directed at the affected arm. But the reality is, of course, going into different sites as we are, there's a degree of variability as to what kind of physiotherapy is offered to patients, and that would be the case all over the world. So Patients will get different levels of physiotherapy during their time post-treatment, and we're not standardizing that except in the sense that we are mandating a degree of focused physiotherapy on the arm. We're not evaluating whether or not that is required to coax that improvement, simply because that would make the trial extremely difficult at this stage. It might be something that we would want to do in the future. So... For the upper limb stroke therapy, the cells are injected into the, the limb? No, they're injected into the brain. Okay. So we use stereotaxic injection into an area of the brain close to where the major infarct is, into the lentiform nucleus or the putamen. It really, the action is a neurological action, so whatever we're doing is very much focused on the brain. And for the peripheral vascular, where's the injection? That's into the muscle. So we're promoting new blood vessel formation in the muscle. So one of the questions that I get often is, where are there opportunities to participate in clinical trials? So first of all, I understand your clinical trials are in Great Britain, is that correct? Correct. At the moment, phase one was completed at the one site in Scotland, and our phase two, we've actually opened nine sites, all in the UK, so stroke centers. We are actually looking to file an IND in the US for the stroke program. And in fact, we're talking to one or two investigators in the US at the moment, including one in Pittsburgh, very much towards having a site and having an IND operative in the US to enable us to move another trial 
we'd like to do in the U.S., focusing, if you like, back onto our chronic stroke survivors, so the, the longer-term survivors of stroke. And I would presume this is 6 or 12 months or more downstream. Indeed, it will take us a while to get that in place. I think it'd be fair to say also we're looking to get further funding to do that. We don't have it within our existing funding to do that. So I also understand that you've uh, had some, some other interests and in other studies. For example, I recall correctly, you had some vision-related work. Yeah, we've, we've got another program, which is very much a U.S.-focused program in uh, retinal regeneration. So we actually have, and we actually developed a technology with a colleague of mine at Scapin's Eye Research Institute in Boston, based around his original mouse technology and, and sort of humanizing that. And we now have retinal progenitors, so cells that will make photoreceptors, but they're in a the progenitor form. My colleague is Dr. Mike Young, and work by Mike and his colleagues showed that if you grow these cells in low oxygen culture, then you get very, very nice growth of the cells, enabling full-scale manufacturing. And what we did was we took that manufacturing technology into full GMP here in the U.S. at a contract manufacturer, here in Pennsylvania, actually, to enable us then to generate GMP banks. And we have, so we have GMP a number of GMP banks already made. We have GMP product being made in preparation for a clinical trial. We've more recently had support from uh, Foundation Fighting Blindness, the charity, who've got behind the program. They've sponsored a study that we did, which was conducted in Brazil, as it happens. And we're putting all that data together, along with some further work that we did in the UK, into an IND application, which we hope to get out the door very, very soon. Also, with the support of the FFB, we've also identified the sites, uh, the principal investigator on the site, and that's all, as, as I say, it's, um, these are great institutions that we're working with. So I also seem to recall that you have some interesting strategies using nanoparticles. This is very new. There's a huge interest now in exosomes. These are particles that are shared by cells as part of the cell-to-cell communication network, if you like, Often that's done through um, nanotubes and other sort of physical connectivity between cells, but also these particles can be shared and incorporated and taken up by neighboring cells. And a lot of the interest really is to do with the contents or the cargoes that are being sent out with these exosomes, which involve obviously a number of different proteins, but also a lot of small RNAs, so microRNAs in particular. We've identified and, and looked at great detail in the exosomes that our stem cells can produce, and stem cells could be a very good source of exosomes if one wants to develop a therapy which is based around using these nanoparticles therapeutically. The advantage, I think, that we have is that we've got this continuous producer, the CTX cell line that I mentioned that's in the stroke trials. And in the vascular trials, it's also an excellent producer of exosomes which have in and of themselves some therapeutic potential and in particular we're interested in exploring cancer indications with these exosomes because the exosomes seem to be able to penetrate into cells and certainly change they seem to reprogram those cells in interesting ways and I think that's a very exciting field and a new field that we'd like to be very much pioneers in. You're pioneering in quite a few areas and I commend you and your colleagues for the progress you've made.
So, Dr. Sinden, it's been interesting to listen to your description of the technologies that are emerging. And I gather that you've gone from the science in the laboratory to the realities of trying to bring these technologies into clinical and commercial practice. So you've certainly gone through a transition in terms of, of the hats that you wear and the responsibilities that you have. Can you share a little bit of that transition? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's been an, an exciting journey for me personally. I, you know, obviously my background is very much as a scientist with an, obviously an interest in translation into therapies. But clearly as we've moved on where, you know, everything is really dependent on progress made in treating patients, that brings with it a huge amount of both activity in terms of having to have full GMP manufacturing on a continuous basis producing product and obviously having to deal with a lot of issues around regulations and also having to look at the commercial side, you know, how can you make this more cost-effective? How can you stop this being a therapy that nobody can afford to use? All of those issues obviously require the sort of expertise that I don't necessarily have and others do have, and so the company, Renewron itself, has grown from being a small research group of maybe 12 to 15 people in the early days up to now we're nearly 40 people, but most of those people are not really scientists, so they are people who are very much from a background in drug development and commercialization. We have a new CEO, we have a number of new hires coming into the company, very much focused on how the company can move forward into the commercial side. And by the commercial side, really, I mean not just making ourselves, we're not going to be ones who make the products and put them onto the pharmacy shelves. We're going to have to work with other companies who are much better skilled to do that kind of thing. So it's really about the sort of partnering and the licensing of the technologies into other people's hands. And that's an obligation that, at some level, obviously, regenerative medicine, some stem cell therapies has been a little bit behind the curve in terms of that pharma company's interest in technologies because pharma companies don't easily see stem cell therapies in the same way as they can see small molecules or even other biologics. But they're starting to move forward, I hope, into looking at these more seriously. And really, it's a question of having something that pharma companies can take on and can actually progress into the marketplace and so they're very concerned about issues like costs of goods and reliability of manufacturing and ease of regulation and and all these sorts of issues that are been to some extent underexplored in the stem cell space and so I think as a company I think where we've been focused now over the last couple of years has been very much on that side of the business really that that aspect of bringing cell therapy properly into medicinal practice, if you like, at at that level. I would characterize this as many challenges and many opportunities. Indeed, indeed. And obviously a a bit of a brand new world, I think, for a lot of us. So Dr. Sinden, I'd like to uh, thank you for sharing your pioneering work uh, with us today on this podcast. Uh, We will post on the uh, podcast website a link to the Renoron website, if anyone has an interest in further exploring the trials that are planned and underway. I'd like to uh, thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine for sponsoring this podcast series. I welcome suggestions in terms of podcasts. You can reach us 
at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com, and I thank you for listening. <laughs>